of Galatians, and we're going to be in the fourth chapter of Galatians, and we're going to read through, I believe, about the first seven verses. So if you would, open your Bibles, and let's go into this message that I've titled, Growing Up in God. Growing Up in God. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until that day set by his father. In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. There's a significant part there, adoption as sons. And when I get through talking to you, you're not going to be wanted, you're not going to want to be adopted as a daughter. Don't get mad, all you sex activists. Don't get mad. Pay attention. So that you would receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then an heir through God. There was a particular year when this pastor, when I read this story, it reminded me a lot of myself. Last year, I'd done about 11 or 12 weddings all in in one wad. It was kind of spread out, but it was just like all of a sudden they all happened. And one particular pastor, uh, this happened to him. He had a whole lot of weddings at one time. It just so happened to be that while he was doing all those weddings, his wife was preparing for their son's birthday party. Now, just to find out who the boy wanted to come to his party, the mom gave him a piece of paper, said, Hey, son, I want you to write down a list of who you want to invite to the party. She gets the list back, and to her surprise, it is a list full of girls. Just a bunch of girls. And so jokingly, the mama's playing around with the boy and says, So, son, which one of these girls do you want to marry when you grow up? She said, he said, Mom, I've got it figured out. When I grow up, I'm going to be a pastor just like Dad so I can marry all of them. My man, right? Hey, I think really and truly, we all have desires of growing up, especially when we're children. We have this, uh, this thing within us that just drives us to the point to where we want to get to that next level in life. We want to move on. We want to become something. And I know a lot of us as dads, we have a greater sense of urgency to get our children grown more than the women do, it seems like. Women enjoy that cuddly time when they're sweet and innocent and changing their diapers and guys throw up when that comes around to them. We're not into that kind of stuff, right? We're ready for them to grow up, get a job, start paying bills, son daughter, whoever you are, we want you up out of our house, right? We're a lot like those buck deer that when they get old enough, we get them on out of the way. So we we have that that deal. But, you know, in, in our minds, all of us have a desire to grow up, especially when we're children. Why is it that way? Because when we are a child, we see those who are driving and they're saying, man, they have freedom. They can go and they can come and they can do what they want to do. We see that there's less restriction whenever they're, when they're grown. We don't have to be under mom and dad's wing so much. We, we have a little more slack in the rope and we can go and do. But yet he uses a metaphor here. 
And all through the Scriptures, if you look all through the book of Galatians and even in the book of Romans and even into Ephesians, you will see the metaphor that Paul uses here. And it is a family metaphor. That is why he uses words such as father, family, adoption, all of these different words because they are wrapped around the metaphor of being in a family. This is, this is a thing that when we, when we don't see this growth that we're talking about this morning, this growing up in God, when we don't see this growth, it's really tragic. Because naturally, if everything is right in the human body, when you are born, if everything is the way that it's supposed to be, and it's just perfect, if you can call it perfect, if everything is operating and functioning properly, that child will grow up. It's going to grow up. I grew up a little more rapidly than my brother grew up. I grew out. He didn't so much. Some of us grow up faster, not, even in, not only in physical size, but even in mentality. Some grow up, you, you got these guys that are 30 years old and seem like they're, they're still 15 pushing Tonka trucks on the floor. Or it could be the other way, even around with a woman. You're 30 years old and you still think that you, you should get everything that you want. Wrong. If you are grown and you have become an adult, you start taking care of other things. Children, responsibility. And we, as, as, as men and women, we have these problems of growing up. But we have these, these things in our mind and in our body that help us get to that point naturally. So when we see someone who is not grown, and we see them living in the, in, in, in the basement of their parents' house, we say, man, that's tragic. You're a grown man, strong, physically capable, and you still choose to do nothing, and the parents let them live there. I understand if there's handicapped things, you got to take care of them, but when they are perfectly able to take care of themselves, it's tragic to see an adult who has not grown up. Think about it spiritually. How do we look whenever, how tragic is it whenever there's someone who refuses to grow up spiritually? They refuse to grow up in God. They refuse to look at the Scriptures and to understand it for what it really is. They refuse to see what is really going on in their spiritual realm and in their spiritual life. And they refuse to move on to the meat and potatoes of the Word. And they just, they just think that it's okay for them to sit back here and suck on the bottle of the Bible. It's tragic to see that. And I'm here today as a pastor to let you know that the churches today in America are full of immature Christians who refuse to grow up. You think that you're just going to make it to heaven because you come to church on Sunday. Because your name is on a roll. Because you've spoken in tongues. Because you've combed your hair right today. Because you wore a suit. Because you went to Sunday school. What else do you want to use to put a mark on your board? That is foolishness, and it is elementary stinking thinking. It's time to grow up. Grow up in God. And you're either going to take it today, or you're going to leave it. It's time for you to quit sucking on the milk. And it's time to start chewing on the steaks of the meat of the Word of God. It's time for you to grow up and understand that it's not about the rules and regulations that help you grow. It's about understanding that there is no one in this world who is going to bottle feed you the rest of your life. You have to get up and you have to take responsibility and you have to be mature in God. Now, 
Part of the problem that we have whenever we read the Scriptures is that we try to make sense of it from our Western culture viewpoint. You can't do that with the Bible. It wasn't written in America. Hallelujah. It has an Eastern culture. And it's from their viewpoint. For example, whenever you look at here in the Scriptures, look at Galatians 4, 1 and 2. He says, he's talking about an heir. As long as they are a child, they're no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but is under guardians and managers until the date that is set by his father. Now, Princess Diana in 1997, many of you will remember, it was on the news forever. She had a car wreck and she died. Two children who were teenagers. Y'all help me, I think it was Harry and William. And they were teenagers then. She had an estate that she left to them that was worth $20 million at a teenager. How many of you at 16 would love that? $10 million given to you right then. But that probably would not be smart. I don't know that there's anyone who would legitimately just write out a $10 million check and hand it to your 16-year-old son. By the time he's 17, you won't know where any of it's at. So all the way through their teen years, into their 20s, until they became 30, as the time was appointed by the law, through the will that was written, they were not able to touch it. That money had grown from $20 million to $31.4 million in a 10-year period. Interests and investments and all the things that were done what was going on with that money? Who was overseeing that money? It was guardians and managers. And if you actually look into the King James Version, it calls them tutors. People who are overseeing the estate. Paul is saying right here that as a child, you, even though you are a child and your father dies and you are an heir to his estate, you cannot have it as a child until the time appointed. So there will be people who watch over you, and there will be people who will guide you, and there will be people who point you along the way. He talks about elementary. Elementary. Let's think for a moment about elementary. Some of you teachers, I should have pulled one of y'all up here and have you explain it, but y'all follow along with me. Why is it that in elementary school, let's look at kindergarten, pre-K, whatever, that before they go to the bathroom, the teacher says, before y'all move, put your finger over your mouth. And when you put your finger over your mouth, line up at the door in a single file line. Remember this? Why does the teacher do that? To teach them to be quiet? To teach them order? To teach them respect? Because they know that when they get in the hallway, they will be disruptive to the other classes if they are not quiet and orderly. You get it? Now, when they grow up, there's not going to be anyone telling you, put your finger over your mouth, line up in a single file line, and be orderly down the hall. All right, let's move on. Get into junior high. What is the bell for? The bell says, school's starting, you are tardy, it's time for break, it's lunchtime, and hallelujah, it's time to go home. That bell is a rule, a regulation that brings order to their life. It is training that they come through one step at a time to get them to a place to where they can understand what life is all about. If there was no bell for our junior high and high school students, when would they know to go to class? You know full well they can't hardly read a clock. Heaven forbid you give them one that is not digital. 
because they can't read it. Y'all think I'm kidding. Some of you get your child, your children. If they were to look back at that clock and it was only dots, they wouldn't know what it meant. Because they've been taught to look at digital, and if it doesn't have the numbers written out on there, they wouldn't know. And I'm telling you now, and you guys know that have junior high students and high school students, they are not responsible yet enough to look at their watch and say, I think it's getting close to go to science. They don't care if it's time to go to science. The only two bells that they're looking for is lunch and home. That's it. So if those bells are not happening, they lose their regularity. You follow what I'm saying? So Paul is saying here, there's rules and there is laws, regulations that's going to help you when you are a child. Back 1,500 years, for 1,500 years in the wilderness, before, before everybody, before, when they made it into the Canaan, while they were in Canaan, the children of Israel, they were like children in the eyes of God. Immature children. How do I know that? Because they were given something called the law. The law. Many of you think the law is just the Ten Commandments, but that's not it. It's so much more than that. Go to the book of Leviticus. Go to the book of Numbers. Read all that. All that's law. God said, you will go at this time. You will move. You will go here. This is what you will eat. This is what you will not eat. Why do you think God said that they shouldn't eat pork? A lot of people around today, they say we can't eat pork because God, God's not for all that. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. Because we have refrigeration now that can save that pork. God told them back then not to eat it because it, it could be diseased if they, if they didn't keep it refrigerated. And even today, if you find pork that has been left out and you eat it, you know about it in just a few hours. So why do you think God did that? Because they are wandering around in the wilderness with no idea of what is healthy to eat and what is destructive to eat. And He gave them a law as a bell to ring and say, all right, time to go. Time to eat. Time to have a ceremony. Time to have ritual. And it put them in a mindset to where they could grow in God until a set time. Let's look at the Scriptures. Verse 3, In the same way also when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. They were enslaved. Not that it was a bad thing. God didn't give them this as restrictions as to be a ball and chain upon their life. God gave them this just like the child who was like a slave who had guardians looking over them to keep them in a parameter so that they didn't get out of it. Why do I have, why do you have a fence around your yard so that your dog will stay in it? Is that fence there so that your dog is punished? Or is that fence there so that he doesn't get in the road and get ran over? So is the fence punishment or is it safety? The law is just like the fence in a yard. It is to keep you contained to say, guys, everything within this parameter is for your good. If you get outside of this parameter, you will die. You'll die. Is that the truth of God's Word? Is that what it shows us? Look at what happened through the years. When they got outside of the will of God, they got outside of the law of God, they died. They died. And guys, it's the same way today. 
I want you to kind of keep this concept in your mind. Think about it today in Sunday school, the same mindset that I talked to you about in elementary and middle school and high school. Why is it today, Katrina, my wife, she is the, she is the teacher and, and she's got other people that help her, that helps get your kids ready for the next, the next grade. She's got the youngest ones. And from there, they begin to move up. And she has to tell them, put your finger over your mouth, line up at the door, sing a file. Those that have children's church and all the, they do all those things too. They're trying to teach them. But do you know one of the best things that we use to teach our kids in Sunday school? We teach them rules. Rules. Why? Because kids need them. If you do not teach your kids the Ten Commandments, they, people say, when you get to be old and you think you know it all and you're mature and, and you can go do your own thing, you say, uh, them Ten Commandments, thank God, the Bible says that, that those things aren't relevant anymore. Yeah, well, let me, let's find out if they're relevant and not teach them to your kids. Let's teach them not to steal, not to lie to you. Let's teach them not to honor God. Why do we give them the law? Because kids understand, do not do this but it's okay for you to do this. They need a line drawn in the sand. They need law. And that's why we teach them the law. Let me just throw this at you. What if our Sunday school teachers would walk in there and Katrina, I would just, I would just bombard her with all of the understanding of God's grace and the complexity of it and all those things. And she walked into her preschool class and said, kids, let me share all of God's grace with you. Do you think they would understand it? No, they wouldn't understand it. That's why we bring them up with the basic foundation. And the same way that God taught His Israelite children in the wilderness to learn about Him through the law of God, we teach our children the law of God so that they will find Jesus Christ. You see, guys, the law of God is nothing more than a mirror. It is a mirror that shows you what's wrong. And when you look into the Ten Commandments and you look into the law of God, you see what is wrong with you. You see it. Why do you think in our world today, in our courthouses, in our public places, why do you think they are ripping down the Ten Commandment monuments from our courthouse squares and from our public places? Why do you think so? Because the people who are being voted into those places of authority, they cannot stand to look into the law and look into the mirror and find that they are wrong. They would rather look at you and point the finger at you, stand behind their little desk and hit their anvil on the, their gavel on the thing and just sit there and say, you're wrong, you're guilty. But they refuse to look at the law of God and say that I'm the one that's wrong. And whenever you have someone in America who is willing to look into the mirror of the law of God and see that they are wrong, they will judge justly. That's why they're tearing them down. Don't let, don't let, don't let them tell you that it's, that it's all because it, this isn't a Christian nation and all that. That's a bunch of hogwash. They're doing it because they are not just themselves. And they refuse to look into the law that shows them that they're wrong. But never in the world have any of you women walked up to the mirror and said, my hair is messed up. And took the mirror and started banging your head against it to comb your hair with the mirror. Anybody? Nobody? What do you use? Anybody? A brush? A comb? A pick? I don't know what you use. I've seen one woman one time, all she had was like this. It was a, it was a kebab skewer. 
And she was fixing her hair with that. I don't know how she did it, but she did it. But what I'm telling you is, is that there is something else that is used to fix the problem of your messed up hair. You know who the calm is? Jesus Christ. The mirror shows you the problem. Jesus fixes the problem. Do you get it? But you will not understand that if you remain in elementary. You can stay back there and suck your thumb all you want to. That's fine. You can be there all you want to. But here I am to tell you that the Bible tells us and the overlying doctrine of the Scripture says that you are responsible for what you know. And if you are not willing to take what I'm telling you today and grow and mature in the Word of God, you will be held accountable for it. You can remain there all you want to. Ladies, listen to me. The Wednesday night study that you're going through, it is not a Mickey Mouse study. You can stay on the front cover if you want to and suck your thumb and say, I don't get it. You can stay there. Or you can take the Scripture and you can dig out and you can go and you can do like the old song says, wade in a little bit deeper. And if you wade into it, yeah, you might not get it all. You might not get it all, but you are never going to get it if you stay in the kiddie pool. You're not going to get it. It's easy for all of us to put on the persona and act like we're all Christians and wear the name tag and come to church and we can just be here all that we want to and let everybody look at us and say, hey, we are holy and we've got it because we went to church. Hallelujah, praise God. You're just as lost as the one that doesn't claim Jesus Christ at all. That's elementary stinking thinking. And if you choose to stay there, you are going to miss out on it. Now Paul goes on to talk about a few things. He says that we come to the place to where we are adopted as sons. Now we got these, these sexist people in the world today, especially in the Western culture in America. They say that everything ought to be written he slash she. That makes me sick. He slash she. I'm telling you, it makes me sick. In college, writing, writing thesis and writing papers and all this kind of stuff, and you're writing about the Bible and all this kind of stuff, I had a professor. She was a woman, and I, I give her credit for it, but she corrected me and marked off points because it said, your paper should say he slash she. And I wrote her back, and I said, God ain't no she. So when I reply to he, I'm not putting a slash she. But, it, but if you look at Bibles today, modern Bibles, they, are, they, are, they have both sexes in there. He slash she. Whichever one you want it. Hey, it's fine if that's how you want to do it. That's fine. Look at it, do it. That's wrong. That's wrong. There is a standard, and that's the way that it's supposed to be. But if you want to look at the Scriptures that Paul wrote here, and you want to talk about the adoptions as sons, as saying that Paul is some sexist bigot, and you just want to, you're looking at it from the wrong viewpoint. Paul was in the Eastern viewpoint, and Paul looked at it like this, that whenever a son was born, Colson's my son, Whenever Colson was born, if we were in the East, it didn't make any difference what Kylie wanted because you're getting it all. Give me some. You're going to leave me hanging? Come give me some. He, boy, I have embarrassed him. I'm giving Kylie the inheritance. <laughs> but that's the way that it was. In the Eastern times, the first son... He got the inheritance. 
Of course, the daughter's going to get some, but she don't get nothing like you get. The guns, they're yours. Four-wheelers, they're yours. Trucks, they're all yours. And guess what? Even the house is yours. Kylie can have the chickens. That's the way the culture was. That's the culture. And you know what the women did in the Eastern times? They argued. No, they didn't. Because you know if they did, what happened to them? They dug a hole, buried them up to their neck, and they threw rocks at them until they died. Any one of y'all want to oppose? No, you're okay with it? You're okay with the chickens? Good. That's the Eastern law. And people think that Paul's a sexist. But Paul is making a revolutionary statement here. He comes out and he says, when we grow up in God and we receive the Spirit, the promise that He gave to us, and that Spirit comes into us, he says this in the Scriptures, we have the right to become the adopted sons. Why? Because daughters don't get nothing. But all of us, Male and female alike. This man, Paul, was standing up making a statement that made other people's blood boil. The Judaizers that he's fighting against, all of these things that were happening with them, they are fighting mad at Paul because they are the Jews that say, God, thank you this morning that I am not a woman, that I am not a Gentile, and that I am not a slave. But Paul says, baloney! We are all sons in the sight of God. That ought to make you shout. You don't have to just leave with the chickens. You have more of an inheritance than just that. You see, friends, living under the law leaves you to try to keep the law. It leaves you in limbo. You don't know what's right. You don't know what's wrong. They have to try to keep the law. They would fail. They would ask God for, for, for forgiveness. God would give them forgiveness. And then they would just repeat the cycle over. Because they can't keep the law in the fullness. So God had to do something. Now, part of the law was missing. And in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says these words, and I quote, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. He didn't come to throw it all away. You see, Jesus Christ was the compensation. He was whatever the law was lacking, Jesus came and compensated for that. Jesus would replace the ceremonies, the sacrifices, the rituals, the regulations. Jesus would take the wrath of God upon himself that the law otherwise would place on the shoulders of the one who broke the law. It would all be put on Jesus. He was the compensation. And because Jesus' compensation plan, which is the fulfillment of the law, we are now accepted into the family through an adoption process that is better known as salvation. And when you accept this salvation into your life, you come into the presence of God, you understand His grace, you understand that those rules and those regulations, they don't apply to you anymore. Let me tell you something, guys. We have been given full rights as sons of God. Full rights! And whenever the eastern clouds break and Jesus Christ comes down on His silver cloud of glory and He comes to receive His children, don't you be worrying about what's going to happen down here. Forget that mess. You can waste your time worrying about what's going to happen when the eclipse comes if you want to. I ain't got time for that junk. Because if Jesus Christ wants to come back when a star shoots across the sky or whatever's going to happen, hallelujah. 
Colson, we don't have to worry about them chickens. We can get up and get gone. Forget that stuff. Because why? Because I have been adopted in the family of God, and I am an heir with Jesus Christ. And when you are an heir, that means everything that belongs to the Father becomes yours. That is shouting material right there. And if Zayla didn't get you shouting, I'm going to try to get you shouting. Listen, this is important stuff that you need to see here. This is important. You're an heir. But God's not going to wait until we reach heaven to give us all of our inheritance. This is what he said. Look at verse number 6 with me, Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons. See, if you wasn't sons, if you, you, can, you can remain the sexist if you'd like to. And you can say, I don't want to be a son, I'm just going to be a daughter. That's fine. That leaves more for the rest of us who choose to be sons of God. Because you are a son, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. And it gives us the ability to do what? Cry Abba. The Hebrew word for Father. To cry Abba, Father. He gives us that ability to do that because before the Spirit of God comes into your life and there is a perfection that God can only bring into you. I'm not saying that you're perfect, but through Christ, you're made perfect in the sight of God. Only until then does the Spirit of God fill you and give you the ability to cry out to Him as He is your Father. And when you believe that He is your Father, you begin to live your life not like a peasant on the street, but like a child of the King. Hallelujah. A child of the king who is an heir to all of the kingdom of heaven. And when you are an heir to the kingdom of heaven, I dare somebody come against it and try to fight it. Because I'll stand and I'll fight and I'll bleed and I'll bleed out to the death because I know what I'm fighting for. Why is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, more powerful than any kingdom ever on this earth or ever will be? Because it is something that is bred into the hearts of the believer. And when something is in the heart of the believer, and it is the heartbeat, and it is what punches, and it is what makes your blood run through your veins, there is nothing that's going to deter you from standing for that. All of these kingdoms in this world, they fight for a king. They fight for a man. They fight for someone who dies by the swing of the sword. But the kingdom of heaven has a bunch of people who fight for the king, who cannot be put down by sword, who cannot be put down by shield, who cannot be put down by fire, cannot be put down by flame. He cannot enter the grave through the cross and stay there. Hallelujah. I serve a king who rises under his own power. And there is no one who can throw his kingdom. That's the king I fight for. And when you fight for someone like that, you know that even if all hell comes against you, you will not fail, but you will prosper. And if you don't believe that, walk out of here in the elementary school system if you would like to. I refuse to stay in that mindset and keep sucking my thumb and sucking the milk. It's time to grow up in God. It's time to receive Him and understand that you have a responsibility now to grow up in God, live your life so that you recognize the righteousness of God as our musicians come. You live in the righteousness of God. You live in a place where God wants you to be. And you refuse 
to remain a child. The appointed time has come, my friend. God the Father said that it was time. So he sent Jesus. Jesus Christ came, opened the way, and while he was on that cross, he said the words, it is finished. And when he said those words, the veil that was there that separated all mankind from God the Father, it split in two and it fell on the floor because no longer will there be separation between God and man. We don't have to worry about a priest praying us into heaven. You don't have to worry about your mama getting you there. She done lost it. She can't do it. There's one man that can. And his name is Jesus Christ. And if you stay in the elementary stinking thinking of life, you will remain in the elementary school system. But the gospel of Jesus Christ has come to set you free from the slavery of those laws and those regulations. It's no longer time to be listening to the school bell anymore. What's going to happen right now, adult? What happens right now whenever the, when it's time to wake up and there's no bell to tell you to go? There's no one to say, okay, now it's time for you to get dressed. It's time for you to eat your breakfast. It's time for you to move on in the Lord. There's none of that anymore. You see, guys, you can continue to come here at church if you would like to in the elementary thinking of things, those principles. And you can say that I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to listen to Brother Joy and do what Brother Joy tells us to do. And, and we'll just keep going that way and doing the things that we need to do like that. And, and that's fine. If you stay there, you are going to be one of the most helpless adults that there's ever been in the spiritual realm. I cannot give you what you need. You have got to grow up in God. You've got to grow up. You've got to open the Word and you've got to apply it to your life. A life of holiness, a life of righteousness, and a life that makes good, conscious, moral decisions. Grow up in God. Father, we love you. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us the time once again to come to your house and to open the Word of God and to see you for who you really are. It's freedom of God to live in this grace that you've given us. To be able to grow up in you and to understand, Lord, that we can have freedom. We can have freedom. That, Lord, I pray that we would get to the point to where we understand that we can make decisions that are right because we have been given the promise of the Spirit of God in our life. And we live for you, not because rules tell us that we have to, but because your spirit puts a longing within us and we want to. We desire to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd be honored to pray with you today. To the darkness you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out. Pour out our praise, it's your breath.
thank you for the opportunity that you've given us, God, to be here in your house. And I want to thank you, Lord, for every person that's come to be around this altar. Lord, I don't know all their needs, but God, I know that in a, in a congregation of people this size, Lord, there are more needs represented here than we can even begin to mention, Lord, than we could even begin to pray for specifically. But God, one thing that I know about your spirit is that you tell us, Lord, that it can be everywhere at all times. And you can minister to people, all of us individually, at one time. Lord, no doubt you're already doing that. God, thank you for the victory that comes through Jesus Christ. God, all the freedom that's in the grace of God. Not that we have to worry about all the things, all the rules that are out there. Instead of worrying about all the rules, God, we're free from that because 
We want to serve you. And because we want to serve you, it's okay for us to abide by the law. It just comes like second nature because we want to please you. And we want to live our lives for you. I ask you, God, that you would just continue to work miracles in these lives. Do things, God, that only you can do. All I can do is preach and pray. But God, you can begin to work and do a miracle in the lives of these people that I cannot do. And I ask, Lord, that you'll just continue to be with them. People that made the move around the altar, people that are still in their seats, God, but yet you're dealing with their heart right now and they don't know what to say or what to do. God, I pray that you'll speak to them personally and help them to understand who Christ is. But help them, more importantly, to find out who they are in Christ. So be here in a powerful way. Speak to them and minister to them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I understand if you need to go, that's all right. But we're going to be quiet for a moment. Be respectful to people around the altar as they finish praying. If you have to slip out, it's okay, but do it quietly. If you're going to hang out with us, just hold on until these people finish praying around the altar.